0: One of my favorite teachers of all time had the best saying, and I've lived by it since. And she said, when we forget what it's like to be a student, we lose our effectiveness to teach. So it's always putting myself in the mind of a student and saying, you know, I'm a student too. This is my environment. I'm trying to learn. So having those three presences as part of this framework really is a beneficial way of not only organizing, as Carrie said, kind of creating the product but also delivering, facilitating, and going through that process.
1: The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning.
2: Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning.
1: Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University.
2: Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co host, Brad Garner. Hi, Brad. Hi, Tiffany. Today, we are joined on the podcast by Dr. Carrie Henry Hewlett and Dr. Maria Gray. Dr. Carrie Henry Hewlett is an assistant professor of education at Northeastern State University. A veteran educator with over 20 years' experience, her background includes teaching a wide range of learners in traditional and online environments, online curriculum design, course development, and program management. She is the program chair of the MED and in Instructional Leadership Program, where she teaches leadership, classroom management, teaching strategies, and online course design. She's a certified peer reviewer for quality matters in both K 12 and higher education. Dr. Maria Gray has over 20 years of higher education teaching experience and is currently Associate Professor of Leadership at Northeastern State University, where she teaches in the Master of Science in Leadership Program. She is a member of the China Bridge Program, and taught educational leadership in China in 2018. Maria presents at regional and national conferences on topics of leadership, women in leadership, English composition, and online teaching. Maria is a certified Phi Theta Kappa leadership instructor and winner of several teaching awards include the Oklahoma State Regents for Higher Education Online Excellence Award and the OSU A&M Regents Distinguished Teaching Award. Maria lives in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma with her husband and two teenage daughters. We are thrilled to welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast, Dr. Carrie Henry Hewlett and Dr. Maria Gray. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Tiffany. It's good to be here. And hi, Maria. Hello. Good
0: morning. It's so nice to be here today.
2: We are looking forward to diving in with this duo because like us, they have a banter, they go back and forth, they have a history together, just like Brad and me. So this is going to be a fun time. We are going to get started with some getting to know you questions. Last week, I made the mistake of calling them, Um, I don't think I said dumb, but I might have said silly questions or something, something that offended Brad. So this week, I'm just going to say these amazing Get Acquainted questions. First one, and we'll start with Maria, if that's all right. What streaming show would you want to be in? And which one would you not want to be in?
0: Wow, I don't watch a lot of streaming shows. I watch a lot of movies and movie series. (laughs) But I will say that kind of one of my most recent guilty pleasures streaming is Bridgerton, Uh. so I would love to be in Bridgerton, Um, of course I would want to be in the Royal side of Bridgerton, but um, I think that would probably be my pick, as far as a streaming I would not want to be in hands down a survival show. (laughs) <laughs> I like my comforts, right? I, I I would much rather sit on my patio and enjoy the sounds of summer from my porch. So don't ever drop me in the middle of nowhere and expect me to survive. It probably
2: so well. <laughs> or in a castle, right? Right, <laughs> right? exactly. How about you, Carrie?
3: Oh. You know, I was talking with my husband about this and I was like, you know, I'm not sure there's a streaming show that we watch that I would be willing to be in. And the reason is because <laughs> we watch tons of fantasy and especially I love dystopian stuff. You know, those things are dangerous. <laughs> I don't really want to be there. I just want to watch. But definitely, hands down, the one I would never be in is Silo. The, I don't know if you guys have seen it, Apple TV. They basically are all living in a, a silo under the ground. And, you know, don't put me under the ground and oh, wow. leave. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes.
1: Amazing. A little lighter question. A go-to movie that you need to have when you want your spirits lifted, what will you watch?
3: I can
0: answer that. Can I answer that first? Sure. Yeah. I know my movie. I know my movie. I know Carrie watches movies all the time. She's probably got a thousand favorites. Um, but I've had a go-to movie since I was, I won't say how long ago, it's been a long time, but it's always my go-to for any mood, whether I'm happy, whether I'm sad, angry, whatever it is. And it's so cliche, but it's ever after a Cinderella story. And I think it's just because of the happily ever after. I think just happily ever afters fill my soul. (laughs) So as long as I, if I'm in a mood and I watch a movie where they all ride off into the sunset together, I'm happy. It's good. It works for me. I watched movies where they have the surprise endings or the ending that doesn't, you know, form a resolution. And it drives me crazy. So call me the optimist, but I'm the uh, Cinderella story. Ever after. <laughs> I'm seeing a theme here too,
2: with these castles, like I said, so <laughs> there's something there yeah.
3: for me. I honestly don't go to movies to lift my mood. I go to music. Um, that tends to be, if, you know, I don't select movies based on how I feel but I do love to turn on music and that's going to be most of the time drop rock. Truthfully, I'm a huge parrot head. If you guys are familiar with Jimmy Buffett. Um, and, uh, so if I want my spirits lifted, that's what I tend to do.
1: I like you better already.
2: (laughs) I see a guitar behind you actually, as we speak, is that. Oh,
1: Are you going to treat us something today?
3: Oh, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. Okay, okay. (laughs) But thanks for asking.
1: (laughs) Had to ask, had to ask.
2: (laughs) If you could be the world's best at something, what would it be?
3: Hmm. Carrie, you want to take that first? I need to think. Notice I threw you under the bus first. Go ahead. It probably sounds cliche, (laughs) but I really want to be the best me. And that's something that I get up every single day thinking about, okay, how am I authentic? to myself and how can I grow today to be better at being me in all aspects of my life. So, you know, I really wanna be the best me so that I can help others be the best them. I'm in teacher ed, so I teach students who are teachers. And if I can help them be the best, that matters more to me than someone saying, well, I'm the best fill in the blank, right? It's more important that I'm the best at helping others achieve their goals. Great answer. Yeah. So I should have gone
0: first. I should have stolen that from you. No, I completely agree. And I think that when I think of if I could be the world's best at something, you know, we all wear so many hats, right? We we serve in so many different roles. And I think it really just depends on a moment and environment. If I'm teaching, I want to be the best teacher. If I'm a mom, I want to be the best mom at the moment. So it really is just like Carrie said, it's the best me that I can be given that role, right? Given that environment in which I'm in.
1: Very good. Those are great answers. That's why they're on the podcast today.
3: (laughs) If you eat the same meal
1: at least once a day, what would it be?
3: Oh, hands down, avocado toast. I eat it every day. If we go out of town, (laughs) I'm serious. If we go on a trip, And I can't find avocado toast. I start jonesing for it, and I'm like, "Okay, dude, we got to go home. I got to get my avocado toast." I have to be in DC this week for another conference, and I actually have already gone to the store to get my stuff so that when I come home, I won't be out of my avocado toast fixings. This is how obsessed I am with it.
1: Wow! Yeah, I've never had avocado toast.
3: This morning, you've never had it.
1: No, what's in it? What do you put on the toast?
3: Well, I do it better than anyone else in the world. So you can go to restaurants and they may have it on the menu, but uh, don't trust them. So you have to get the mashed avocado and you use sourdough bread, whole grain sourdough, if you can find it, and you toast it and then you put the mashed avocado on it. I put almond slivers on top of that. My husband doesn't like that part. And then I saute an egg in olive oil and I put that on top. And then I sprinkle a little bit of uh fat-free cheddar on the, on the very top. And it is to die for. I mean, like I get up in the morning and think how long till I actually have the breakfast.
1: Amazing. Every so day. After, after, after you put the house. spread on, then whatever you put on top is up to you. You can do kind it. Of yeah, yeah. Way. yeah.
3: Yeah. Super healthy too.
1: Highly recommend it. Tiffany, what do you put on yours?
2: I'll say my five-year-old and I split some this morning. We put on same avocado blend, but I don't quite go as far as even putting an egg on it. We use an everything seasoning from Trader Joe's, everything bagel seasoning on top. And um,
3: have you ever put tomatoes to onions?
2: We have added tomato. not the Yeah, green onions.
3: that's really good too. You can just put whatever you want. Look in your cabinet, yes. see what's healthy, look in the fridge and then just toss it on there. Very satisfying.
1: So to our <laughs> listeners, not only do you get the latest and greatest in teaching and technology, but you also get cooking tips.
0: Uh, that's <laughs> right. What's your deal? If I were to consider my favorite food, I have so many different tastes. It's hard to pick just one. I would I- say, you know, what would you say, Carrie, is my favorite? I would say dessert. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, you hit that one. My husband and I have a rule. We do dessert first. So at restaurants, at home, we eat dessert first. And I know it completely, like my, my parents would scream because, you know, growing up, don't touch your dessert till you finish your dinner. But maybe I'm the, it's the rebel in me as an adult. But dessert first, anything sweet. Uh, usually at a restaurant, our first choice is any kind of cheesecake. So I would definitely say desserts. I've been in the process of trying to perfect bread pudding. And I'm not quite sure why I picked bread pudding, but I think we've been eating a lot of bread pudding lately because I'm just trying to find the right blend and the right mix of bread pudding. So yeah, sweets for me.
1: So do you also close with a dessert or not?
0: Usually there's a little leftover. So it's kind of like oh. a pre and a post. yeah, we get a little, right. little pre-dessert before the meal <coughs> and a little dessert after the meal. That's perfect, <laughs> right? It's absolutely perfect. So uh, everyone's come to know that's what we do. It's just I expected love that. now. Like pre and post workout. <laughs>
1: You ever get unusual looks at a restaurant when you have your cheesecake come before your meal?
0: And it's funny when you ask the wait staff when they come over and they ask if we know what we want to order and we say, well, dessert first. And they're, well, wait, wait a minute. It kind of throws them off for a second because they're ready to write down an appetizer and a whole (laughs) meal. And no, no, no. Bring on the sweets first and then we'll figure it out.
3: We've been at restaurants before, her husband and her, and my husband and me. And we always order the wings on our side of the table, and the dessert always goes the there. <laughs> That's how we appetize. You know, it's the appetizer, of uh, course, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: this is fun for us because we could talk to you all about just the getting acquainted questions for the whole podcast. We yeah. still have one more. Yeah. So we need to know where was your most unforgettable vacation?
0: Hmm. Well, I don't do a lot of vacations, but I would have to say that probably most memorable, not one specific location, but growing up, we drove everywhere as a family. So I would say probably going to the beach, driving to a beach with my parents and my brother. And I think what makes it memorable, one, their childhood memories, but that's now what I do with my family. Uh, we drive to beaches, we drive to locations. And I always say, I'm, I'm never doing that 12 hour drive again. And then we do it again. So I think it's just for me, a lot of it is just the getting there and being in the car and just seeing so many things we wouldn't see. I know it's not very exciting. I'm not a big jet setter, but I think it does. It's definitely rooted in childhood memories. So any of those vacations are my favorites.
1: That's an excellent point about life. I mean, very often we're more interested in the destination than the getting there.
3: I think it is the journey. You know, we're very fortunate. We travel a lot and we've been to a lot of different places. But and when I was thinking about well, what's my most memorable vacation, and it kind of goes back to that idea that being the best me I can in that particular situation at that particular time. And I think I always feel like I want to be right here, right now, present. And the next vacation is always the Best, you know, like it's the most memorable because I want to make these memories not be comparing. And I don't know that I have a specific one, but we do go to certain places repeatedly. There are places and things we like to do that we do over again, you know, and there's still a long list of places I want to go. I always joke that I have to live
0: vicariously through Carrie because she goes so many more places than I do. So I have to live
3: (laughs) through her. I don't have teenagers. (laughs) The <laughs> time will come. Yeah, you keep saying that.
2: That's Brad. Me, I'm telling you. There's this thing about the duos. Well, Brad, do you want to lead us into our primary topics for today?
1: Sure. And I'm fascinated by this topic that you've chosen. We also share a common connection to our friend, Todd Z. And that's kind of how we found the two of you. We're always trolling his blog, look for good guests. But one of the things you've written about is the community of inquiry. Could you tell us a little bit about what that is, how it came to be, and what it means?
3: So basically, the community of inquiry... Theory framework, really. It's more about application of theories, I think. But the community of inquiry framework, it comes out of work that was done at Athabasca in the late 90s. And the people that were doing that work primarily, I mean, I think the lead on it was always Randy Garrison, but also Terry Anderson. I don't know if you're familiar with him from distance learning. I'm like, my dream was to get my PhD at Athabasca. That's how much I admire him. You um, here
2: on the podcast, actually. Yeah. A podcast. You had him on the podcast. Yeah, Terry Anderson.
3: I'm so yeah. I'm yeah. So but yeah. so this came out of their work in the late '90s, early 2000s, um, and to me, it connects a lot to Michael Moore's theories of transactional distance which basically for anybody who's listening that doesn't know, it's the idea that we're kind of wanting to look at closing the gap that is caused by being at a distance, right? And making sure that we're able to communicate with learners and learners are able to communicate with us. And transactional distance, which was from the early 90s, wants us to look at having student-to-content interaction. How are they interacting with content? Student-to-student interaction. How are they interacting with each other? and student to teacher interaction. So we want to look for those three things. And so, you know, kind of go to the ideas with community of inquiry and we kind of can see ways in which we actually apply all that. So I don't know that Garrison ever based it specifically on more, but for me that's always helped me kind of understand better the community of inquiry is is seeing the connection between the two. But basically what they're saying is that in our courses, we need to look at addressing three types of presence in our classes. We need to think about social presence. We need to think about cognitive presence and we need to think about teaching presence. And we can talk more about those three. But for me personally, I think teaching presence is the most important. And the reason I say that is this, Teaching presence is about not only the process of teaching, but also the product. So it's about course design and course delivery. I mean, ideally, teacher presence starts at the moment that we start to design that course. Well, mm-hmm. and I think teaching and learning is intimidating.
0: And you add on this online platform and it creates a whole new intimidation. So I think if we understand that we need to be cognitively present, we need to be mindful of what we are putting out there for students to absorb, right? to learn. And then we have to have our own teacher presence. As Carrie said, it's about uh, designing, organizing, facilitating that environment where students want to learn. Therefore, the cognitive presence becomes prevalent. And then you have the social presence, right? We want it to be comfortable. We want an environment where people can talk and they can collaborate. And we really do learn from each other. One of my favorite teachers of all time had the best saying, and I've lived by it since. And she said, when we forget what it's like to be a student, we lose our effectiveness to teach. Mm. So it's always putting myself in the mind of a student and saying, you know, I'm a student too. This is my environment. I'm trying to learn. So having those three presences as part of this framework really is a beneficial way of not only organizing, as Carrie said, kind of creating the product, but also delivering, facilitating, and going through that process.
1: Mm. Who was your quote from?
0: Her name was Dr. Sarah Marshall. Okay. And she was a graduate instructor at Oklahoma State University. And she has since moved on to another university, and that was several years ago. But it's funny. We're talking probably 20 years. But it's funny that I still live by that quote. Um, It's part of my teaching philosophy. I say it all the time because I think it was so moving and it really shaped who I am as an educator.
1: Isn't it fun to be a teacher educator and then see your work blossom as your students go out into the world and you hear reports of their accomplishments and the way they love their students. That's so awesome.
3: I would love that. For me, it's really cool because we aren't in the traditional teacher prep program. We are actually at the graduate level. Both of us teach at the graduate level. And Oklahoma, like many other states, has got quite the teacher shortage. I'm sure that, you know, they probably do where you guys are too. And so one way that they've addressed it is through alternative certification. And so my students in teacher ed are the students who have already gotten their bachelors in a different field now they want to be teachers in oklahoma but they're required to have these certain courses and learn about yeah. teaching and so they're actually in the classroom and also taking my classes and that has been so fun you know to be able to get feedback from them saying dr k i i used that in my class and you'll never believe what the students did or Dr. K, I used that in my class, it didn't work, (laughs) you know, but it it changes the dynamic of the conversation. Like I was traditionally prepared and it's like, okay, I know all my theories, but it's abstract to me because I haven't been in the classroom yet. For these students, they're actually in the classroom today and, you know, they're taking what we learned in tomorrow and applying it. So it's super cool.
2: We're gonna pause here, but we'll be back next week on the Digital to Learn podcast with Carrie henry Hewlett and Maria Gray. Join us then, and in the meantime, please like and share these episodes on the Digital to Learn podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast
1: platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future.
2: Always keep learning.